Acts chapter 2, verse 1, And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. We're going to be looking at the subject this morning of the church. The church. Um, the focus of the church is the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay? So before we get started, when we look at the church, we have to be very careful that we don't worship or adore the church. And it's not an institution that, uh, that we are to, to focus on. It's not the focal point. Okay? The Lord established his church, and I believe he did during the earthly, the Lord Jesus Christ did during his earthly ministry. It wasn't on the day of Pentecost, but he established his church, his New Testament church, so that he would be the focal point, and that he being the focal point, he would grant authority and grace to a particular group of people that by time, in time, that through that authority that is lateral, extended through time throughout the ages, that he would have a, a church, an assembly, that would glorify him, that would testify of him, and that would bring him all honor and everything. So he is the center, the centerpiece of the assembly. When we look at the church this morning, then we have to understand that at every point it's by the grace of God. Brother White mentioned that it's by grace that, that he can teach, and that's true. That's by grace that that the that the men of God can teach in the assembly of God. It's it's by grace that anyone is saved. It's it's by grace that anyone would desire to serve him appropriately and thus humbling themselves and, and submitting to the authority of God. The church. He is the focal point. So when we look at this verse, chapter 2 and verse 1, we can learn a lot just from chapter 2, verse 1 of the book of Acts. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. So the church is personal, okay? The word they. So when we say they, are we talking about everyone and all the Jews, every Jew without, without exception? No. Are we talking about everybody that was in Jerusalem? No. Are we talking about everybody who was in Judea or Samaria? Who's they? We have to understand whoever they is, that, that was the church. They. Yeah. It's a personal thing. So go back a little bit. We're going to just uh, uh, you know, glean some things after chapter 1 because Acts, the book of Acts doesn't start in chapter 2. It started in chapter 1, and that's why we spent so much time in chapter 1. So let's glean some things out of chapter 1. Who's they? Well, all, the, all these things that we're going to see start with the letter C. Okay, So that might help us if you're writing these things down. The they, who were they? They were changed people. They were changed Okay? Acts chapter two, excuse me, chapter one, verses one and two. The former treatise have I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus both began to do and teach. What did he do? Well, in his gospel, he died, was buried, and rose again. In his living, what did he do? In his healings and and in it in his in his uh, relieving folk of of their of the demons and those types of things. What did he do? He changed people. Okay, they were changed, and that change they were a new creature or new creations. This is a group of people that they were dead and now they're alive. They're changed. Okay. So then when we look at who the they is in Acts chapter 2 and verse 1, they're changed people. They're believers. So if, they were to, if we were to say that the Holy Spirit came to them in chapter 2, we haven't studied it fully yet, but if we were to say that the Holy Spirit came to them and that's when the Lord started his church, then we could also say that they weren't really saved in either, right? That's the same type of logic that you would have to employ there. But the, because they already had the Spirit of God, because they had already been born again by the Spirit of God in John chapter 3, we could understand that, that these are a changed people. Okay, So church, what is church? It's not for the lost. Okay, We invite unsaved people that they would come hear the Word of God and that they would hear the Gospel. But church is not a coming together of unsaved people. It's not. 
What are we to be doing here? We, we are to be provoking each other in love and good works and confirming one another in the gospel of Jesus Christ. We, we should delight in hearing the gospel on a regular basis. How that Christ died for the ungodly because we, by birth, are ungodly and still have that ungodly man that we carry around with us. But this is a changed group. This is a, this is a group of people in one accord in one place that they were dead and now they're alive. They're saved. Okay? It's a group of saved people. So church, many churches are full of unsaved people. That's not what the church was in, in Acts chapter 2. That's right. It was a group of changed people. And really, the reason it was full of changed people is because changed people wanted to be near one another. And people who had no use for and were not changed were, would not be found dead there. You see? So it works both ways. They were changed. People or find themselves near one another that they have things in common with, don't they? These people were changed. They were saved. They were delivered. So that's one aspect of it. Read verse 2 with me. Until the day in which he was taken up, after that he through the Holy Ghost had given commandments unto the apostles whom he had chosen. Okay? So this church, they were changed, but also... They were a chosen people, weren't they? They were a chosen people. Well, what do you, you know? What, what's the difference there? Well, if you were to go back in the book of Luke, chapter six, and read that again, when the Lord went up into a mountain, prayed all night long, and came down, He chose His twelve of the disciple of the apostles. Excuse me, twelve apostles of the disciples, but that was of the multitude. So even the assembly was chosen out of everyone else. Okay. So are we, am I saying that every single saved person in the world at that time was part of that assembly? No, I'm not. But I am saying this 120 in the Word of God says this, that the 120 that were there were chosen out of all the rest to be that assembly. So what is the assembly? It's a personal thing. It's full, it is made up of changed people, and they are chosen people to be of that assembly and chosen by God. We don't choose out ourselves any more than we change ourselves. It is the desire of the people of God that they would follow the Lord in baptism. It should be that desire and follow him in his local church by the authority that Christ had so commanded. Who is that they? When in chapter 2 and verse 1, they were all with one accord in one place. Who is that they? That's a people that was commanded. Again, look back in verse 2 of chapter 1. After that, through the Holy Ghost, had given commandments unto the apostles whom he had chosen. The apostles, that wasn't like a secret society of people that was separate from the Lord's assembly. That was simply the leadership. Okay, So if you were to think about it in a, in a military standpoint, when a general gives out orders, does he go to every person on the front line and give them out the same orders? No, he doesn't. He hands the orders down to the, the leadership there, and then the leadership says, okay, this is what the Lord told us to do, or what the general told us to do, let's go, right? So then the leadership, having given commandments, those commandments were not exclusive to the apostles. Those commandments that Christ gave through the Holy Ghost to the apostles were then to be carried out through the assembly. So the assembly then is a group of changed people, a group of chosen people, and a group of commanded people. So God Almighty, if Christ, God in the flesh, gave commandments through the Holy Ghost to his apostles that then would be given to the Lord's assembly. So yes, they receive commands, but they're also commanded. If a parent gives a child a list of commands, but that child does not fulfill those commands, is that an obedient child? Well, let's say, use another example. If you call your dog, we've got a dog that, that either has hearing problems or isn't obedient because we give her commands often and she disregards those commands. Is that an obedient dog? No, it's not an obedient dog. So then this personal, changed, chosen, and commanded group of people that is known as the Lord's assembly then would be an obedient assembly unto those commands unto the Lord. Right? Commanded. They're commanded people. They're also a confirmed people. Now, let's back up. Let's change. Let's stop a second. There are saved people in other assemblies, but that doesn't make them the Lord's church. 
there are people that they set themselves aside under offices, but that doesn't make that the Lord's church, right? There's a, a group of guys 150 years ago or so that they were disgruntled, and they just they, they separated themselves out. They chose themselves. They ordained themselves. They laid hands on each other, and they baptized each other, and now you have a whole new line of assembly. That doesn't mean that they're the Lord's church, right? Just because they chose themselves out. No, the Lord's church has commandments, and those commandments, as given by Jesus Christ, have continued unto this day. If the Lord's church faded out for a while and then came back, that means his commandments can't faded out for a while and came back. Do the commandments of God fade out for a while? No, they don't. The Lord's assembly continues. And they were confirmed. Okay, look at verse 3. To whom also he showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs, being seen of them forty days, and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. I've been told that by saying that the kingdom of God is speaking of the Lord's assembly, that I have too light a view of the kingdom of God. Well, my response to that is, for those that hold that position, I think they have too light a view of the Lord's assembly. I believe the Lord established his assembly, and it is it is of such magnitude that when the Lord Jesus Christ confirmed his people, his church, for those for those many days, for 40 days, when he confirmed his church concerning the importance of his assembly, the kingdom of God, that it was that it was a tremendous thing in that confirmation. So tremendous that him showing himself alive after his gospel validated the work that that assembly was to be doing. The kingdom of God. How important is the, is the kingdom of God, the Lord's assembly, to testify of the death, burial, and resurrection? Well, how important is the death, burial, and resurrection? Again, if the focus, at the focal point of the Lord's assembly is being confirmed by the gospel to testify of that, then in this earth there, is, there has never been an institution with such magnitude because what other institution has been given this charge to testify of this gospel? There is none. So confirmed. How do we know? How do we know that this is the assembly? Well, look at, look at what other assemblies confirm. They confirm baptisms. They confirm uh, do this and do that. They confirm works. They confirm you take one step, he'll take two. You, they, they confirm all manner of things. They, they, they're, they're confirmed by all types of things. But the Lord's assembly, being confirmed of his gospel, continues in that confirmation of his gospel. And again, it didn't, it didn't fade out for a while through Rome and then have some type of reformation. In Acts chapter 2 and verse 1, again, it says, They were all with one accord in one place. And we're going to get to it. They continued in that, being confirmed. They were also committed as by God, the Holy Spirit. Verse, verses 4 and 5. Being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which saith he, ye have heard of me. For John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. He says, ye shall be baptized. And when he's quoting, he's quoting from, from the, the Gospels. But this commitment that God, by the Holy Spirit, gave unto them, they were already an assembly at that time. And that while it was a special endowment of the Holy Spirit they had in Acts chapter 2, that the benefit of, of the Holy Spirit to the assembly continues all the way through the book of Acts. And what that benefit is, is the ability to be the Lord's assembly and by his power continue in that, that commandment of the gospel, that commission of the gospel, that confirmation was given by the Holy Spirit. Do we have it in the same magnitude today as they did then? Absolutely not. Raise your hand if you've ever heard a message right on time. Y'all have never heard a message right on time? Something you needed, like right now. I mean, I, I don't have spies in y'all's lives, you know. <laughs> the, the Word of God is particular, and the Spirit of God 
is particular in that these confirmations come around time. And, you, and, and, and it's, it's nothing short of the work of God in all these things. These words have been printed for a good long time. But the Spirit of God, through His assembly, testifies unto His, His assembly the power of God in Jesus Christ. He promised that the Spirit of God would come on the day of Pentecost, and it did in a very special way. We don't have, quote, Pentecostal power today. I don't, I don't speak in other languages and that type of thing. But the Spirit of God continues. When the Lord Jesus Christ promised that the Comforter would come in John 14, 15, and 16, he promised that the Spirit of God would, would continue with his assembly in obedience in the Word of God, and in, in, in time of, of trouble. He did promise that. He committed the Holy Spirit unto his assembly. Again, if the assembly faded out for a little while, that means the Holy Spirit had to go somewhere. Did he withdraw? Did the Holy Spirit withdraw from his assembly at any point? No, he didn't. The personal, the local assembly. They were commissioned in verse 8, but ye shall receive power or ability after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, the you, the same you, right? And ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and under the uttermost part of the earth. This is really amazing. So if the Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost, was going to come upon them and that, that Holy Spirit endowment was only good for the day of Pentecost, well, they were not witnesses in the uttermost part of the earth on the day of Pentecost, were they? No, they were still in Jerusalem, right? So the Lord Jesus Christ, in his promise of the commitment of the Holy Spirit, also in his promise of the commission, he didn't say, would you please be my witness? He said, you shall be my witness, right? You shall, and you shall be witnesses unto me. You shall be witness. So in his commission, in the commission he gave to his assembly. He's also promising perpetuity in his assembly. He's promising persistence in his assembly. And he's also promising, even long after the, this initial assembly, that initial assembly in, in Jerusalem was long dead, that the witness of Jesus Christ and his gospel would continue. Why? Because it's not about the assembly. It's not about you and I. It's about the witness of the gospel of Jesus Christ and his power or authority through the Holy Spirit for his assembly to continue in these things. You see? You see it? The commission, the uttermost part of the earth. What Jesus Christ said, the Lord Jesus Christ said in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8 continues unto this day in and through his assembly. Commission. What other group has that commission? Was he talking to various societies there? In Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, who's he talking to? He's talking to the same people that are in Acts chapter 2 and verse 1. And through that, in that commission, if you read the commission, look at this please, back over in Matthew chapter 28. If you're reading in that commission, that assembly, that local assembly, chapter 28, and verse number, number seven, 18, and Jesus came and spake unto them. Well, who's them? It's the same they that we're reading about in chapter, Acts chapter 2 and verse 1. And he spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, teaching them the gospel, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Well, what does baptism do after, the, after they are believers, after they're changed by God? Then they are baptized, submitting unto the Lord in his assembly, and they will live out those things, verse 20, teaching them to observe all things. They're going to now live those things. Well, how do they know what to observe? Because they're in the assembly being taught, right? Teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I commanded you. Well, if this is a, if this is a universal church, how could, how could those people without the internet and YouTube, how can they teach an assembly to observe all things? It has to be a local thing. You see what the commission brings into it? The local assembly. And in baptism, and lo, I'm with you, all the way even unto the end of the world, was Peter, James, and John, and all these people, were they, were they going to live throughout until the end of the world? No. But the Lord's assembly would, because the Lord came to seek and save that which is lost. He would save his people from their sins. 
And those who receive the word gladly would be baptized and continue in the Lord's assembly generation by generation until the end of the world. I believe that's where we are today. Again, the Lord Jesus Christ is the focal point. This group, did they just get together and pat each other on, on the head for sovereign grace? They were a chastened people. A chastened people. Changed, chosen, commanded, confirmed, committed by God, by the Holy Spirit, commissioned, chastened. Verses 9, 10, and 11. And when he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven, as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, angels, which said, which also said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? The same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as ye have seen him go into heaven. They were a chastened people. Were they doing everything right? No. They're not God. God does everything right. God, people don't do everything right. So it is, it is necessary then that the word of God, as a sharp two-edged sword, as it says in Hebrews chapter 4, would chasten the people of God. A lot of, um, a lot of churches, so-called societies, there's no chastening going on. Lex and I were coming out of Beaumont last night, and we saw this big old sign for this, this assembly down there. They said they, at 8 o'clock they have uh, traditional services, but at 9 o'clock you can go in and have contemporary services, right? Well, if, if that kind of gospel is, is too harsh. No, I don't, I don't want to hear bad things. I want to hear good things. Uh, you know, cater to my needs. That's what that sign says, is we're here to cater to your needs. The Word of God is not here to cater to your needs. The Lord's assembly is not here to cater to my needs. The Lord's assembly, we are to be, in, in the things pertaining to Christ, we would be chastened unto obedience, wouldn't we? When those two men in white apparel, why stand ye gazing? What are they saying there? Didn't the Lord tell you to be doing something? What are you doing? Well, that's a timely message. What are you doing? What are you doing? That, could, that question can be asked for all of us any given day. What are we doing? Yes, the Lord's assembly will be chastened. If we can come to the Lord's assembly and not be chastened by God the Spirit through His Word unto, unto perfection or refinement in Jesus Christ, being conformed to His image, then we have a false view of ourselves or we have a false view of God through His Word. No, we would be chastened. And, though chastening not be delightful, it does work out the peaceable fruit of righteousness, doesn't it? Just read in Hebrews chapter 12. Chasten. They're also counted. Counted. Look at, look at verses 13 and 14. Counted. And when they were come in, they went up into the upper room where abode both Peter and James and John and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon Zelotes, and Judas the brother of James. And these all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brethren. And in those days stood up in the midst of the disciples and, and said the number of names together were about 120. About 120. Um, in Numbers chapter, excuse me, Second Samuel 24, David decides he's going to number the people, right? And it was a sinful, prideful thing to do, and God chastened him for it. The, what was the use of it? He wanted to see how big the kingdom was. Census taking per se was not bad, but David, out of pride, wanted to number the people. So it says about 120, but they could name the names, right? You might think a group our size that I'd be on the quick to know the number of us. And in, in fact, I try to hide that number from my mind. I, I know our names, yes, and call our names regularly. When people say, well, how many people you got over there? The word is enough. We have, you know, more, yes, as the Lord adds, but we have what we have by the grace of God. But these people were were counted, meaning it was a literal group. It wasn't a figurative group. That's what we mean by that. They were counted. There was an actual number of these people. 
they had, and they listed the names of many. Why is that important? Well, it's important to the Lord. Again, if they're changed, chosen, commanded, confirmed, committed, commissioned, and chastened, then the individual count is also important. As individuals, we are, oh, we're going to be taking a trip here soon and getting a bus, right? And every one of those seats is important. Why? Because each one of us will be sitting in those seats, you see. Why is that important? Because we all have our stations and our roles to play in the Lord's assembly. Why was there about 120? Because that was what the Lord was going to use in the day that he used them in Acts chapter 2. Why do we have a number that we have right now? Because the Lord is using us such as pleasing in his sight. We ought to pray that we're counted for the glory of God with vast numbers blowing out the back wall, building a new building and a fellowship hall. Wouldn't that be nice? Counting. We ought to desire that. But also, when you look back in, in verses 13, 14, and 15, when they were counting them, again, those names. I, I trust that you call the names of this assembly into your, into your mind and in prayer before God on a regular basis. I trust that you did. They were also counseled of God, counseled of God according to his word. That's what happened in verses 16 through 20. Peter stood up and said, hey, look, men and brethren, the scripture must needs have been fulfilled, which the Holy Ghost by the mouth of David spake before concerning Judas, which was guide to them that took counsel. They were, they were counseled by God's word. Again, we're talking about the Lord's assembly. Okay. So every other society, how are they counseled? Well, they're first counseled by, I think, and then they take off from there. And they try to fit God into what they think. And they have to do that through their own origin story. You know, some people like these superhero, you know, things. And, and all these superheroes have their own origin story. Some people are, are, are history people. They like history. They like to know the origin. Of, you know, how, how did this Congress get set up? And, and how did this nation start? Or what were the details here at the beginnings? Well, being counseled of God, they, had, they, were, they already had in place what they were supposed to be doing. But they were, the assembly was counseled of God. They didn't seek their own counsels, right? They didn't pull each other aside and say, well, this is what I think we ought to do, you know. Let's instead of just filling up by one, you know, this is the same Peter that when the, when he saw the Lord transfigured, that he went to make three shrines, the biggest one from the Lord Jesus Christ. He was full of bad ideas, wasn't he? But he sought the Lord, counsel from the Lord in the Lord's word, and then preached it. That's what the Lord's assembly does in all matters. What saith the Lord? What saith the Scriptures? Counseled of God. What are we supposed to do? What's the Bible say? That's how the Lord's assembly operates. You know, it could be that we find ourselves wrong on a certain issue. Well, if we're counseled of God and not on pride, we ought to change. Um, listen, I, I've heard a lot of strange stories about the Lord's assemblies. I, uh, one, one, one account that I heard, there was a church that thought they were right. They, were, they believed sovereign grace, but they were not properly organized. Okay, so it was it, they were shown that they were not properly organized. What did these people do? Did they get mad, throw a fit, and say, eh, "Away with you"? No, they said, "What saith the Scripture?" And this group of believers, just like what happened in Acts chapter 19, this group of believers said, "Hey, look, we need to submit to God. The Scriptures have counseled us." And then. These people were properly organized and baptized into, a, into an assembly. They were believers before, but now they were organized into an assembly. That's what the Lord's assembly does. They will. We will submit to the word of God. That's what happens. Counsel of God's word. Again, we mentioned commission before. Here's another item on commission. Look at verse 22. Beginning from the baptism of John unto the day that they were taken, that he was taken up from us, must one be ordained to be a witness with us of his resurrection. Commission. Baptism pictures the gospel, but also a function of continuation of authority. They were commissioned. So this early church 
What does he say? When they were looking for when they were looking to fulfill an office, who are they looking for? They're looking for someone who had already be they were looking for a church member, someone who had submitted to God in the in the early workings of the in, of the commission. You know, the law was the law was effective by the in the conscience of man, even outside the law, and that what Paul told the Romans in chapter six. Even without a law, they were guilty of the law. So these people submitted themselves to the commission. In, in, in the nature of what was going on, they were believers and they submitted to baptism and were, were people that were already members of this assembly, that assembly there in Jerusalem. So commissioned. They, they, they submitted themselves unto baptism. And again, the commission does promise by God that his authority will continue until the end of the world. Beginning from the baptism of John. Also in verse 25, you see another point on commissioned. They had officers. Look at verse 25. That he may take part of this ministry and apostleship from which Judas by transgression fell, that he might go to his own place. The apostleship. Look, if you would, please, in, in 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians. We've looked at this before, but 1 Corinthians and chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Again, what's the focus? The focus is the Lord Jesus Christ and his authority granted to an assembly, a, a one particular group that through time has, has preached and taught and baptized and has continued throughout the ages. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 28. And God has set some in the church, first apostles. If there were apostles, there had to have been a church. Right? Right? Yeah. First apostles, secondly prophets, thirdly teachers, after that miracles, then gifts of healing, helps, governments, diversities of tongues. After that. Did you catch that last phrase? Diversities of tongues. When did that come? That came in Acts chapter 2. Didn't it? But it says secondarily, right? So if Acts chapter 2 is the birth of the Lord's assembly, then how could a secondary action be a primary action? Can a secondary action be the primary action? No. The Lord primarily began his assembly. And one of the secondary actions and things coming out of that was, among other things, diversity of tongues. But commissioned. Yes, there was a in this early assembly, Acts chapter 1, there were apostles in the assembly that already existed. There was a pastor. You saw Peter stood up, made a, his first recorded message. Though not an official office, there was a treasurer. You can read in John chapter 12 and John chapter 13 that Judas held the bag, right? Have you ever seen an organization that doesn't exist but has a bank account? Have you ever seen an organization that doesn't exist but has, has leaders, that has a person in charge of watching the money? That just doesn't make any sense, does it? They were commissioned already. They had officers. They had different stations there. You also see, so changed believers, chosen, commanded, confirmed, committed by the Spirit, commissioned, chastened, counted, counseled, commissioned, commissioned, continuation through controversy. Chapter 1, verse 14. These all continued with one accord in prayer and in supplication. Chapter 1, verses 23 through 26. And they appointed two, Joseph called Barsabbas, who was surnamed Justice, and Matthias. And they prayed and said, Thou, Lord, which knowest the hearts of all men, show thee whether of these two thou hast chosen, that he may take part of this ministry and apostleship from which Judas by transgression fell, that he might go to his own place. And they gave forth their lots, and the lot fell upon Matthias, and he was numbered with the eleven apostles. Chapter 2, verse 1. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. Continuation through controversy. All these other societies, why do they show up? Because somebody gets mad and goes somewhere else and says, I want to do my thing. That's what it amounts to. Oh, they don't have it over there. I'm going to go over here. Oh, they don't have it over there. I'm going to go over here. Well, they, they don't understand everything. I'm going to start my new thing. Well, they, they've got this. I want to do that. 
That's how it happens. The Lord's assembly was promised perpetuity, continuation, right? So you think about, yes, in Acts chapter 1, there was a, a controversy in Acts chapter 1. How, how, many, how many would you suppose controversies have been in the Lord's assemblies throughout time? A lot, I would say. A lot. But Jesus Christ himself promised that his commission was greater than controversy. He promised that. The assembly will go on. Now, you can go through the New Testament and find all these local churches. Those particular churches are not in continuation, most of them. Maybe some are. But he didn't promise particular continuation any more than he promised that, that any of those, those disciples in that day would continue until the day of Jesus Christ. But continuation of his assembly to promote his gospel. Continuation through controversy. Continuation with conversion. We're going to skip ahead a little bit. Chapter 2. How does that happen? Continuation with conversion. Chapter 2, verses 41 and 42. Then they that gladly received his word were baptized. What was his word? The gospel of Jesus Christ. And the same day were added unto them about 3,000 souls. Who's the them? It's the Lord's assembly. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. What's that? The doctrine of Christ. And in fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. Yes, that actually happened in Acts chapter 2, verses 41 and 42. But I believe, I really do, I believe that that is a, an example exercise of how it would continue until the end of the age. The people of God, by the power of God, would broadcast the gospel of Jesus Christ. The people of God, by the power of God, would gladly receive the word of God, would submit themselves to baptism in the Lord's assembly by that authority of God, and would continue steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. When? Lo, I'm with you until the end of the age. Continuation with conversion. There's continuation through controversy, continuation with conversion, continuation until the end of the age. That's what we read in Matthew chapter 28. Teaching of doctrine, teaching of teaching. By the power of God, souls, dead, made alive. Baptism of those that glad to receive the word by the power of God. And in teaching them to observe all things, meaning... Now that someone is saved through the word of God, continuation of the teaching of the word of God and how the people of God are supposed to behave themselves until the end of our lives or the end of the world, whatever comes next. And that continuing with power or the ability or the authority of Jesus Christ. Again, if that assembly has faded out somewhere and it came back, that the power or ability or authority of Jesus Christ fade out. You know, we sing a song, there is a fountain, that says it never loses power till all the ransom elect of God be saved to sin no more. I don't like that word till because it never will lose its power. That's right. Jesus Christ has never lost his power. It has never diminished one bit. Diminished one bit. Right. So continuation to the end of the to the end of the age, I believe the Lord's assembly has. Has it been small sometimes? Yes. Has it, has it been, by world standards, insignificant sometimes? No doubt. Has it been quiet sometimes in rebellion, thinking that we got everything right? Yes. Have I? Absolutely. I'm personally to blame on these things in many ways. The Lord is not, and his people shall continue. Covenanted. Look at this. Covenanted. Having a covenant. Chapter 2 and verse 1. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. They were in one accord. They were in binding agreement. That's what a covenant is. It's a binding agreement. As a body and an institution in the doctrine of Christ, they had covenant one with another to be the witness of God. That controversy... That, that, that problems, that life, that circumstances 
All that stuff would, was by the wayside as they had covenant one with another. And the doctrine of Christ as an assembly. Now sometimes things fall apart pretty easily because people forget their covenants. They're binding agreements. How binding is a binding agreement? When the Lord said in Acts chapter 1 verse 8, Ye shall be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and under the uttermost part of the earth. He's saying, because you are changed, because you are chosen, because you are commanded and confirmed and commissioned, you'll be chastened. And by the number being counted, you'll be counseled of God's word. And in that commission, you will continue through all manner of stuff. And you will continue doing this by binding agreement, covenant, one with another in Jesus Christ. What other group has that? Again, this isn't, that's not a bragging question. That's a God-honoring question. God has covenanted one group to be his witness. How important is that? Again, what's our view of that? How important is that? Well, how important is that message? You see, and all that, they were personal, they were local. They were local in time. We're, we're going to push through this. They were local in time when the day of Pentecost is fully come. So they weren't universal, spread across time. Some people hold that there was an Old Old Testament covenant church in the, in the, in, in the wilderness and all this kind of uh, nonsense. This is a local assembly, and it's local right now. Pastor Walter Heron is not a member of this assembly. Okay, he's not. This is this is in time. We're local in time. They were they were local in time when the day of Pentecost was fully come. It was a local assembly in time, and that that might seem pretty straightforward. Just as much as they were local in time, they were local in place. And this is where people lose their minds. It's not a universal spread across space. There has never been, nor is there presently, a universal church. There, there's no such thing. They were all with one accord in one place. How in the world can you get universal out of that? You, in Acts chapter 6, they... There was a need. And they, they, they said, hey, look, examine some people out that we can charge them, that they, that, they can, that they can be deacons for us. Well, it has to be a local assembly because they had to be local in examining people. And then they physically laid hands on them as a, as a show of approval. A universal body can't do that. In Acts chapter 8, there was a local church organization, an extension of authority when they, when they saw that there were believers there. In Acts chapter 13, there was a local assembly that sent out two missionaries after they prayed and fasted and laid hands on them. How in the world can a universal body do that? In 1 Timothy 4 and 2 Timothy 5, Paul said, Neglect not that gift as evidenced by the laying on of hands. After you were properly examined, we laid hands on you. A universal body can't do that. In 1 Timothy, I want you to look at this one. 1 Timothy chapter 5. 1 Timothy chapter 5. And verse 22. He says, lay hands on no man suddenly. I'm not talking about fist fighting. I'm talking about showing a sign of approval after examination that he'd be fit for the ministry. Neither be partaker of other men's sins. Keep ourselves pure. What's he talking about? So whenever we had the ordination here, and these men, they, if they would have just loosely examined me and I go out and I start preaching some kind of heresy, because they laid hands on me, they would be party to the crime of my sin. That's how serious this stuff is, ordination. But it was done in a local sense. Paul's telling Timothy, hey, look, in a local, intimate fashion, you make sure, you make sure of the person that you lay hands on. Make sure of them in a local church sense. That would be an impossible thing. It's hard in a local assembly. It's an impossible thing in a universal. There's in a local institution, there was a continuation of an ancient truth that like begets like. 
like begets like. You see that back in Genesis chapter 2, that everything reproduced after its own kind. So here, they were all together, they were all with one accord in one place, like begets like, the Lord's assembly, through baptism and teaching, and uh, uh, teaching them to observe all things, continuing steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, like begets like, the Lord's assembly will follow the same pattern of Acts chapter 2, verse 1. They, we, are all with one accord in one place. Isn't that what what we are right now? One accord. Now, now you you can go over here and have some wicked sorcerers and they're together in one accord in one place. That'll make them right. So don't misunderstand that. But these people, established by God and commissioned by God, changed, chosen, commanded, and so forth, they were in one place. Being social creatures, we like to be people of like mind. They were all of one accord in one place. No one has to teach a human being to be near people who are like them. That's a big lesson from Babylon uh, over, over in Genesis chapter 11 when the Lord confounded the languages. What, what did they do? They dispersed. Why? Because they didn't like being around people who, the, who they, they weren't like. No, the Lord's assembly, local, assembled, one accord, having authority, will be together in one accord in one place. Local. There's also a call for unity in the Lord's assembly. You will not have you will not have unity in a universal body. You cannot have unity in a universal body. It doesn't take me very long to disagree with the universal uh, with universal folk. It doesn't take me very long to disagree at all. Why? Because fundamentally we don't agree. You see their accord also harmony. They were in harmony, and if you go back to all the seas that we listened in a personal sense, they were in accord and all that stuff. They were changed, and they didn't have discrepancies. Now, the, the details of their conversions were different, but they didn't have discrepancy in who changed them. They were chosen, they were commanded, they didn't have fits over the, the commission, you see. They, they were in harmony. So how does a diverse group find harmony? How do they do that? Well, they must be selfless, you see. Concerned more with the needs and wishes of others than than the needs and wishes of their own. Well, whose whose needs and wishes, not that God needs anything, but whose wishes were they concerned with? In Acts chapter 2 and verse 1, while they were with all, all with one accord in one place. They were selfless in Christ. About 120 people, different. They were selfless in Christ. They were selfless in that commission. They were selfless in conviction, in their faith, their belief, or their positions. And in their doctrine of Christ, they were selfless. They were selfless in their conduct, in their behavior. Go back and study again, revisit Joseph called Barsabbas, who was surnamed Justice. He was selfless, wasn't he? Selfless. You could say he was an early hero in the Lord of that assembly. Also, selfless. How, how, how does the Lord's Assembly continue today? Sheep today. Every, you know, the, the, the membership of the Assembly, we have separate minds, we have separate thoughts, we have separate backgrounds, but yet following the shepherd. Selfless. Other models of organization don't work. The Lord's model of organization does. He says in John chapter 10, My sheep know my voice. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. If we're all following Him, as an assembly, guess what? We're going to be in one accord, in one place. The Lord's organizational pattern works. We would be His witness. Not our witness, His witness. And this is all before the Holy Spirit came. Chapter 2, verses 2 through 13. Yes, the Spirit came. But to a group that was already saved, formed, continuing, they, 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 they were existing what comes next is prophecy and promise of Pentecost, and we studied that last week, and we'll look at it again further. But it comes through a church already existing in a personal, local, harmonious sense. We're to continue in the same. I believe that the the fundamentals of that assembly, what they had and who they were and what their focus was. In Acts chapter 2 and verse 1, when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place by the authority of God through baptism in His assembly, the power that He gave to be His witness 
I believe his assembly continues today. I believe that this is one of those assemblies. And I've said before and I'll say it again. If there were evidence that there was another place, not only would I go, not another place, but the true authentic assembly, and this wasn't it, not only would I go, but I would encourage all of us to submit to the Lord's assembly. But I believe this is it. I, I really do believe, I do believe that the Lord has continued in through his assembly that authority that he granted and I believe the focus would be the same, to broadcast the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ, his gospel. You're saved. What happened? Verses 41 and 42. If someone is saved, if they have gladly received by the power of God, they are saved. They gladly received the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. They that gladly received his word were baptized. Well, I've been baptized under whose authority? From heaven or from man? John baptized being sent from God. There was a man sent from God. His name was John. There's a lot of people that call themselves and separate themselves, and they have different societies and different things and different authorities of baptism. But if that authority did not come from heaven, it's not baptism. It's getting wet. It's taking a bath. They that gladly received the word were baptized. And the same day were added unto them, the Lord's assembly, about 3,000 souls. And they continued steadfastly. Who? The 120 plus about the 3,000 souls continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and breaking of bread and in prayers. If you're saved, I encourage you to join the Lord's assembly. I strongly encourage you. Sinner? We're all born sinners. There's none who's not born a sinner save Jesus Christ alone. And you're not him. I would encourage you to hear the gospel. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. But you shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you. You shall be witnesses unto me. Witnesses of what? How that the Lord Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, came to this earth, born of a woman. Luke chapter 10. And that he would be the Savior. Behold, and born unto you is, is born, this day is born a Savior. Who is that? What's that mean? A deliverer. Delivered from what? From the bonds and pains of sin. The wages of sin is death. Jesus Christ came to seek and save that which is lost. How did he do it? Being the Son of God, he lived an impeccable life, could not sin, would not sin, but at Calvary, there was a substitutionary exchange. He took the sins of his people, the guilt of his people, on himself and was judged accordingly for it. And he being judged, his people are set free. That's the gospel. He died, was buried, and rose again. What does that resurrection tell us? It tells us that he was approved of God, that his work is effective. That's why he could tell those women in John 11, though someone dead, he'll live forever. Why? Because Jesus Christ died and rose again for his people. I encourage you to believe. By the power of God, repent. And believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. May the Lord bless the preaching of his word. Brother White, would you please dismiss us in prayer?